Well, good morning again, and I just want to, first of all, say thank you to everybody who, there was a, a ton of volunteers who helped, uh, helped the Easter celebration get pulled together last week. We had, um, we don't have like all the final numbers yet, but it's over a thousand people gathered uh, to celebrate with us, and it took a lot of people to move kids' stuff and music stuff and people uh, volunteering in so many different ways. Thank you so much. And then, um, you know, without missing a beat, yesterday there were, I think, hundreds who volunteered in the various service projects across the parishes of the church and just helping um, different organizations and individuals in different ways. Thank you so much. Um, this is it's a beautiful expression of our faith to serve one another because we have been ultimately served by Jesus Christ himself. So, uh, so we continue our, our celebration in the sort of traditions of, of the church that hold to more of a strict calendar. The season of Easter is a seven-week season where we, of course, we focus and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the reality of that every day of our lives. But for this season, we particularly focus on that. And so this would be the, this would be second Easter or the second Sunday of Easter. Uh, millions of Christians from the, uh, from Eastern traditions, uh, the Greeks uh, particularly, they are celebrating Easter today. So we remember the millions of Christians who are uh, celebrating their Easter. It depends how the, you Pick the date because the full moon is a certain time and, and just, I don't know, it's a movable feast. So uh, we remember that people are celebrating and we, we celebrate today as well. And we pick up our text at a point, uh, this would be Easter day as we understand it. And we have Jesus's, a uh, couple of his disciples in a really bad place, a really low, low point, uh, really as low as it gets. You've got, a, this is a, a, a long road, seven miles. It is rocky and dangerous. These are people who a week, uh, a week before on Palm Sunday, they had such high hope that Jesus was the king and they celebrated him as king and Messiah, the one who was going to redeem Israel, their hope in verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one, um, but you know, did we get the wrong Messiah here? He was arrested. Um, didn't even give a defense of himself. He was sentenced. You know, he was not victorious. And then he died on the cross. Where's the deliverance for Israel? And, and it's, um, you know, three days have gone by. It's late in the day. This is just a dark, low point. And Jesus reveals himself to his disciples at this very low point. And when he does, and when we're at our low points and Jesus reveals himself to us, it changes everything. And, you know, as, as much as uh, you may be here this morning, just full of joy and celebration of what's happened this week or what will happen uh, in the week to come, and, and, and there, there's a lot of great things in our lives that we also have those things that do disappoint us, sometimes major things, maybe uh, something that you would hope for just didn't happen, or uh, you have a major health concern, or a major uh, relationship in your life that is broken or strained. Maybe it's just a general, you know, life. My, my job and career just aren't coming together the way that I thought. I wouldn't be here at this point in my life. And there are those things in the midst of whatever joy we experience that there is sadness and disappointed, disappointment. Um, but when we recognize Jesus in the midst of that, it really does change everything. And, and many of you here have recognized the, the, the presence of Jesus. You have put your faith in him in your life, and you know that, but you also know that it's a journey, and that at any moment we could um, be quick to forget how present uh, Jesus is in our lives. 
Uh, and today might be a day to renew our faith in him and to trust him with these things. For other people here, maybe this is you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you feel maybe something's missing or you've never acknowledged that Jesus is at work. Maybe it's because of these disappointments that you've uh, kept him at arm's length. And I pray that today, uh, wherever, whatever your engagement with Jesus is, that every single one of us might once again put our faith and trust in him in the midst of whatever we're going through. Let us pray as we begin. So, Father, we, uh, we give ourselves to you, and we, we sing and we celebrate, and we, we do that with hearts that we've come from all different places. And we pray, we thank you that you know us, that you meet us where we are at. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would teach us during this time, that we might know your heart and know your way, and that you would be glorified in that. We thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this uh, text that was read for us, we, have, uh, we, have, we see how Jesus moves these disciples from a point of just deep despair to a, uh, towards understanding life in a, in a different way, really with, with mission and purpose. And I want to point out two main things here that Jesus does uh, for these disciples. The first is this, is that Jesus reveals to him his greater plan and his greater purpose. And he shows them this through his word. So look at verse 25. Jesus says to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in Scripture concerning himself. He said, look, the reason you're so low right now is you don't understand God's big plan and what he's doing. And it's all about how we understand Scripture, and here specifically referring to the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. Now we can look at the we can look at the Bible as a book of heroes. We read the Old Testament and we see Moses and how he was a great deliverer, and we see uh, David; he was a great king, a conquering king. And we can see these heroes, and we can try to emulate them and be more heroic in our faith. And uh, some people kind of view Scripture that way. Other people look at the Old Testament and you see a lot of laws. You see a lot of rules. And you can look at the Bible essentially as a rule book, a righteous way of living. And if I sort of can follow this path of, of doing the right things and following the commandments, then there'll be, um, you know, that's the formula for life. Other people open the Old Testament and they see a lot of just inspirational quotes, you know, I saw this verse, and this is kind of, it inspires me today. It's, 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 this is what it means to me today. And, and primarily, Scripture is none of those things. Not primarily a book of heroes, not primarily a book of rules, or primarily a book of inspiration. Primarily, the Bible is a detailed accounting of God's rescue plan for a broken world. And it's really, we see this story of God's work in the world in four stages. You have creation, we have the fall, we have a rescue, and then a final restoration. So we we see in the Bible that God created the world good, and it was for his glory and his pleasure, and he created human beings in his image and likeness to be good, to know him. But then comes the fall, and the fall is where sin comes in the world, and, and sin 
disorders this good world that God has made. And it brings about death and disease and violence and hatred and all evil in the world. And it, you just see all the, the curse that comes on the world, the brokenness of the world through the fall into sin. But we see God rescuing this broken world. God reaching out and, he, and, and blessing people and calling them to be part of his saving work in the world. Primarily through one nation, the nation of Israel the descendants of one man, Abraham, and, and, and God promised him that, that, his, that the whole world would be blessed through this. And, and, and the, the pinnacle of this rescuing work is Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, uh, he, he dies on the cross, but he rises to new life to show his victory over life and death, and he has all power, and that all is, is being forgiven and restored. And, and it ushers in this, um, this, this great... Uh, period of restoration where God's kingdom is advancing and will one day be known in all of its fullness. That primarily is the Bible. That primarily is the story of the scriptures. Therefore, the Bible primarily is not about me. It's not about my struggle. I'll give you an example. The story of David and Goliath, which was mentioned in briefly in our mystery box today. So I, was, I used to work as a geologist, and when I see rocks, I'm like, that would be the thing I'd want to get in the mystery box, and then you get rocks. So, um, Very famous story. Our kids know it. We teach it to them. If we, read the, if we read the story of David and Goliath, and I think, you know what, this story is primarily about me. I look at it, and I see David, the hero, and he puts his faith in God, and he slays the giant who's the enemy of God. And I just need to think, what are the, you know, what are the enemies in my life that I need to slay with faith? But the Bible is not about me. It's about Jesus. And when I look at the story of David and Goliath, this is a story about Jesus, that Jesus is the ultimate king in the line of David, that, that Jesus was the one through who faith in the Father slayed the ultimate enemy of God, even death itself. And that, that story points me to him, doesn't point me back to me. Now, if we read that story and we think about how we might put our faith in God and how we might um, be victorious over evil, that's not a bad way to look at it. It's just not the primary way that we read Scripture. And then, so Jesus, what Jesus does is he's walking with these two disciples and he goes through all the way from Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, and then all the way through the prophets, the whole Old Testament, and he shows them how it all points to him. It all points to Jesus. But he doesn't give us the outline. Like, I want that lesson plan. I want to teach that as a sermon series. I want to do that. Where did he start? Did he start right in the garden? You have Adam and Eve and they sin. But God's promise is that one day, an, an offspring of that woman, of Eve, will crush the head of the serpent that... that that Jesus is the ultimate descendant of Eve, you know, fully human, fully God, but who will crush, ultimately crush evil. Or, you know, the promise is made to Abraham that, you know, I'm going to bless you and, and I'm going to, uh, through you and your offspring, you're going to be a blessing to the world and that the ultimate blessing comes through, um, through Jesus, that we are a family in him, not just because of our, our, our birth, but because of our rebirth in him. Or does he talk about Moses and how you know, Moses established this great covenant of law, but Jesus comes and he's, he's the promise of a prophet like Moses. And it's Jesus. He's the one who administers a greater covenant of grace. 
Or was it like David, there's a great promise of a king that in the line of David, one of David's descendants would be a special kind of king. Not just a king that's going to rule well and, and then pass on to the next generation, but a, a, a king that's going to reign forever on the throne. And that king is Jesus. And, and then all the prophecies about Jesus, about how he would be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, he would be the, the son of God, that he would be a great prophet, priest, and king, that he would be betrayed and mocked and suffer and thirst and be pierced, but that he would rise again. And it's all in there and all the many prophecies about Jesus. And he's, I don't know what he said to them, but he's, he's explaining these things for these disciples who are in despair. And, and for us, in our despair and the things that drag us down, can we get our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on the greater story with that God is redeeming a broken world, that it's not all about me. Now, that's easy for me to say, right? You know, hey, you have your problems. Just don't think about your problems and think about bigger, you know, God things. Because those things that weigh on us are hard and they cause us grief and they cause us to be dragged down. They can cause depression and, and anxiety in our lives. These are very real things and they can be very perplexing why these things are happening to us. But we need to always remember that there is a greater context of God's saving work in the world that those things fit into. And we, all, we have two choices when bad things happen. I was talking to a friend recently who has a family member who works with kids in the medical field and this person said, look, I see these kids, they get sick and they die and I just can't believe in God because of all this, you know, because of their suffering. We have two choices. When, 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 there's, when there is suffering and when there is death, we can believe that God has a greater purpose and plan for these things. We can believe that in his redemptive story that he's going to make it all right, even though we don't understand it, and it's very perplexing. And I might even be angry with God because of what's happening, but I trust somehow that there's a greater purpose. That's one option. The other option is it's all chaotic and random. One kid lives and gets old. The other kid gets sick and dies. It's all arbitrary. So the evil that you see, it's just what it is. And even the good that you do doesn't contribute to anything greater. It's all just... It's all just random chaos. I choose to believe in a sovereign God who has it all in his greater plan. And when I'm in my points, my low points, remembering that God is doing something greater lifts me out of that despair. And I can understand that you know, God, his, in his word, shows us how it all fits together. Therefore, we need, to, we, we need to reflect on his word, not primarily from the lens of you know, what is God you know, saying specifically to me, but what is God doing in the world? And we need to know that it's, it's good and it's accurate. And even Luke, he wrote this whole account of Jesus' life. He, in that uh, first sermon when we kicked off this series, looking through the Gospel of Luke, he said, I, I've, I've written these things so that you might know the certainty of the things you've been taught. He researched it, verified it. And even in this account, he goes to great length to say this isn't just a, a story to teach a lesson. It's not just a fable. This is not just a road. It's a specific road. And this is not just disciples, but here's the disciple. Here's one of the names. Um, and, and there's all these facts that you wouldn't add into the story, even the, that, that the first witnesses were the women they mentioned. Well, in, as we mentioned last week, in, in, in their culture, women couldn't even testify in court. Yet the first Witnesses to the resurrection were these women who spoke truthfully of it. 
We have this image of the disciples just foolish and misunderstanding and not seeing and blind. And included is, is their folly in the midst of this story. It's all very verifiable. I mean, we look at it today and say, well, you know, did these things really happen? You know, what, um, wasn't this all just made up? Look at verse 18. They, they ask Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus yet, but they, they ask him. They say, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? He said, everybody in this whole city knows what happened to Jesus. It's not some little thing that happened off to the side. This was a very public event. How do you not know what happened? You know, for us today, we could say, well, who knows? Everybody knew. And here we see Jesus explains to them, God has a great plan. He's rescuing the world. It's all laid out historically. And if we can just get our eyes off our problems and understand them into the context of God's bigger plan, that will change everything. That's the first thing. Second thing Jesus does, so he, um, he re- reveals his bigger plan, but he then reveals his presence. Look at, verses 20, look at verse 28. It says, as they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread He gave thanks, and he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. He was was right there with them, and they just didn't know it was him. And this is one of those parts of Scripture where I think, how could this possibly happen? And this is one of those places, whenever somebody makes a movie about the life of Jesus, and I'm watching the movie, this is one of those scenes, like, how are they going to do it? Because how do they not see? They don't use a different actor. You know, is it, did he look or sound so different in his resurrected body? You know, and sometimes you see in the movie, like, his, he's got a hood on, and it's like over his face, like, hey, what are you guys talking about? You know, and, like, of course they don't recognize him. But even that, and I know that's hard because a week ago on, on Saturday before Easter, I wanted to go to bed early, so I put on my, you know, get ready to go to bed clothes, and we realized that we were missing one ingredient for um, our Easter lunch. So I, had, I volunteered to go run to the grocery store. And I couldn't run to the one right down here because everybody was on strike. So I had to go to Market Basket, which is crawling with you people. Uh, that, it's like <laughs> free church people everywhere. So, but I didn't want to get out of my sweatpants. And, I, and I, was, I wore my slippers. And the ones with the sole on the bottom, they're like indoor-outdoor slippers. But... I didn't want to tie my shoes. I mean, I was ready to, to turn in. So I get my, I get my hooded sweatshirt and, I, and my hat. And I pull a little knit hat on. I'm like, there's not a person in the church who could recognize me right now. And I love greeting you out on the street, but this is, I'm, I'm incognito. Don't want anybody see me in sweatpants. So, unless I'm at the gym. So, so there I go into the market basket. I get through the door. I have my cart. And the first thing I hear is, hey, JP. I'm like... <laughs> There's Mandy Bickle. Hey, getting ready for service? Can't, couldn't do it. So how can Jesus be walking with these people? Now, on the flip side, I can totally understand that you could be looking straight at something and not be able to see it, like in the refrigerator. Say, honey, where's the leftover ham? Top shelf, right in the center. And I'm looking, no ham. She must have meant second shelf. Look at the second shelf, no ham. Go through the drawers, look in the door. Where's the ham? 
You're looking right at it. No, I'm not. And I stare. And then I go to other parts. I go to the downstairs fridge. Maybe she's mistaken. Then I go back, open again. I'm staring. There it is. <laughs> staring at it the whole time. She said, oh, you found the ham. Where was it? I said, Top shelf, right in the center. You could stare at something. And I, so I could see this on either. Regardless, okay, regardless of this, um, Jesus somehow, they, they, they are kept from recognizing him. But notice the moment when they do recognize him and, and just think of the language here. So he goes into the house and he takes bread, he gives thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. The same Jesus who the week before took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. And he told them what he was going to do and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me when the bread is broken and given thanks. And when you do this, you're going to remember me. And it's in that moment that they knew it. It's him. It, when, we, when we break bread, when we take what we call communion or the Lord's Supper, when, when we go through this, this memorial meal that Jesus has given to us to remember him, it's powerful. And I have the honor of, of serving people as they come forward. And, and every time I see people just weeping in tears because they are so aware of God's presence as we do this simple act of eating bread. Remembering that he is, with, he is walking with us the same today as he was walking with those disciples then. Whether we recognize him or not, he's right there. He is very close to you. He's walking next to you. The great surprise of the Christian faith is that it's not about us trying to reach God, trying to reach enlightenment, trying to reach some higher path or way, but it's the God of the universe reaching out to us, walking with us, walking near us. And it's it, that same Jesus today. Notice how Jesus doesn't force his way into this house. The disciples have to ask him in. And, you know, some people have this view of God that he's just going to, you know, He's forcing himself on us. And, um, but no, we have the God of the universe just gently with his grace approaching us. Their eyes were open. And we can be sure too, our eyes can be open. By, just by turning our faith to him, receiving his grace, receiving his Holy Spirit, that we can know that we are his children. We can know that he will, he will never leave us. We just we forget his presence. And we, we get to these really low places. And Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, the, the greatest promise of Scripture is God saying, Look, I'm, I'm making a people for myself as I redeem this broken world. I will be their God and they will be my people, my possession. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we just need to recognize that he's right there. And as we turn our faith to him, he, he, he reveals his presence to us. So those are the two things. We, we see that whatever I'm facing, that God is doing something so much greater. And I can put my faith in that. And that, as we sang today, never once do we ever walk alone. That he's right there in our midst. And when we realize that, when we put our faith in him, he sets our heart on fire. Look at verse 32. They, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on that road? 
The heart, once we realize this, the heart comes alive. And then this same rocky, dangerous road, they just run back to the city. They just, once they go back and they tell the disciples, it's not printed here, but they said, look, it's true. The Lord has risen. Uh, And they they told them what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he was breaking the bread. And they just, they went and they spread the news. They, They went from this very low place to a place of excitement and purpose and we can have the same thing. We, we get turned from just focusing on ourselves to focusing on him. Now we're telling others. Now we're out in our everyday, on the front lines of our lives, where we, yes, we still have those things that weigh us down. They don't go away. But we're not alone, and we have a message to give to the world. So we can love and serve and, and be generous and, and, and to, to spread that joy in every way uh, because of what he's done. So the warning for us, though, is when he sets our heart on fire, it's changing our hearts. It's changing our hearts to be more like him. It's helping us to wrestle with our own sin and brokenness. It, it, it's God pruning us, as, as Jesus described it. But he's cutting things away so that beautiful, 